When I was growing up, my very first hero was Bruce Jenner. He, I always loved the Olympics. He was the guy. In fact, I, when, as a kid, I had his tennis shoes. I don't know if anybody even knew they were Bruce Jenner tennis shoes. I had the tennis shoes. I think I had the brown ones. They were beautiful. Um, but Bruce Jenner won the gold medal in the decathlon in 1976 in Montreal. Decathletes are considered the greatest athletes in the world. And, and for me, Bruce Jenner was like, it was it. I, I love the Olympics. I, I've had a lot of um, favorites growing up. Carl Lewis, Jackie Joyner, Kersey, you know, even some of the laters like Michael Phelps and, and uh, Apollo Ono. And I even have, you know, loved to go back and read some of the greats that were before my time, especially... Um, Especially those uh, like Jesse Owens, not just because he was from Alabama, but because he kind of stuck it to Hitler. Uh, and, and then you had um, Jim Thorpe. Jim Thorpe, uh, maybe the greatest athlete of all times. But to me, Bruce Jenner, he was my first Olympic hero. He was the first person I remember really looking up to. And then in 2015, many of you already know, he came out as a trans woman, and he said he no longer would be called Bruce. He would be called Caitlin. And, and I didn't know what to do with that. I was kind of crushed. And it's like, how does that happen? I mean, he was a, he, a decathlete, a, a gold medal decathlete. He is the model of what I thought a man is supposed to be. And my first thought was, it's the Kardashians. He lived in the house of the Kardashians. Anybody would be messed up, right? But I remember being shocked. I remember being angry. I remember being, uh, feeling sorry for him. I had all of these feelings. And I'm just being open and I'm being honest with you about these things. Because of all the cultural things that are going on out in our world, this is the one that I struggle with the most. And this is the one that Peyton pinned me to in this series. <laughs> You know, it's like, what do, you, what do you do with this? I mean, it's, it's being pushed in our society. It's thrown into our faces as Christians. There are many in this movement that they are just hostile. They're absolutely hostile. And I want to push back in the same way. But I also want to be like Jesus. And, and I'm, I'm trying to figure out what, what that looks like. I, I'm really struggling with this whole thing, and I called Steve Jones. He is the, the preacher over at um, Vero Christian Church, and uh, he did a series on this, and I knew he had worked with someone who was transitioning, and so I, I wanted to talk to him, and I, and I told him I was just up front about the struggles I have, I, I was up front about, you know, I still want to be like Jesus, and, I, and, I, and I, what does that look like in our culture today? I mean, and we talked for a long time. He was very helpful. And there's some things that we're going to talk about here today that he helped me um, in understanding, and he helped me to, to know some things. And so that's kind of where we're going to go this morning. I'm going to start off telling you about three different people. The first one is this girl, Leslie, at the age of four years old. Um, she experienced life as a boy 
Other girls, they enjoyed playing house. She wanted to play football. As she grew older, she didn't grow out of that. In fact, uh, in her youth group, she became more and more isolated from the girls because the girls were coming into this new womanhood in the youth group, and they were, you know, they liked putting on makeup and, and, and styling their hair and talking about boys, and she just wasn't interested in all of these things. She then became depressed because she had no one to talk to about how she was feeling inside. And when you take uh, isolation with depression, then what leads next is thoughts of suicide. And she was starting to have these thoughts of suicide. And so she decided, I need to go talk to the preacher. And the preacher, uh, listening to her, he, uh, he got very upset. He led her out to the back door of his office and he said I don't want you to ever come back again she left and she stayed out of the church for 18 years she hated Christians and she especially hated us ministers another girl by the name of Stephanie when she was 13 years old she told her mother that she was a transgender this came out of nowhere she had never shown any kind of gender dysphoria before. She was no tomboyish-like behavior or anything of that sort. But she did learn that she had just heard this presentation at her school about being transgender. So she took her to a gender counselor, and they told her, you need to start calling your daughter by a masculine pronoun and a masculine name, and you need to to uh, put her on these uh, puberty-blocking drugs. You need to buy her a binder to flatten her breasts. He did not recommend any kind of therapy, and she was told that if she did not comply with these things, that she would be at a high risk of suicide. And she was afraid to say anything because in New Jersey, where the, her daughter and, and, and her live, there is the Department of Education that officially encourages schools to report such parents who question it, who are not going to comply with those things. Then there's another one. His name was Alan. He was a preacher's kid. Ever since he could remember, he had a desire to wear dresses, to, to act like a female. He thought about people of the same sex. He had no one to talk to, no one to guide him, and so when he got up and he graduated from high school, he completely left the church. He saw the church's attitude towards the LBGTQ people, and it made him feel isolated and ashamed. So one day, a Christian friend that he still had talked to Alan and said, Alan, just tell me your story. And he sat down with him and he told him the whole story. He told him how he feels about uh, wanting to be a woman. Told him how he feels about attraction to the same sex and all of this kind of thing. And he, he absolutely expected to be condemned. But instead his friends just said, I want you to know that God loves you. And I want you to know that other people love you too. And it absolutely pricked him in the heart. And actually, this kid decided he wanted to become a Christian. All because someone had the courage to share his story with a friend who received him graciously. And he went on to say, If I never learned about pure, undistilled grace, I would have transitioned to a female and left the church. 
The thing that brought me to an acceptance of biblical masculinity was not a poignantly laid out exegetical argument against transsexuality, nor a fire and brimstone diatribe against homosexuality, but a man who gave me the space to speak about my desires openly and let me know that he and God love me nevertheless. This is a lesson about people. These are three examples of the trans experience, and while there are similarities, we also see that there are some very much differences in their stories. And some of you are probably thinking, look, when are you going to get to the scriptures? When are you going to say, you know, just mention Genesis 5 and verse 2, that God created us as male and female? You know, case closed, end of discussion, and we're going to talk about some scriptures. But there's, there's other things we need to talk about in the process. There are two extremes that we find ourselves in when we come to this issue, and we have to be very careful. In fact, I would say always be careful in extremes. If you find yourself in extreme, one end or the other, whether it's religiously or politically or wherever it may be, you need to do some questioning. And this is one of those as well, because the, the first trend that, that I think that we have is to become a culture warrior, someone who, one who doesn't necessarily care about trans people, they only care about disproving the trans beliefs to show that they uh, don't know what they're talking about. They're illogical. They're unscientific. Those who like that warm feeling of having their favorite political pundit, you know, just kind of stick it to them. Meanwhile, little do we know that there may be a person that we sit next to or someone that we know in church that is struggling with this and they're very depressed and maybe even have suicidal thoughts. The second trend that we have is to become a lover instead of a thinker. In other words, I'm just going to love you. Uh, I don't need to bother with all this theological and scientific stuff. In fact, I think it just hardens our heart. I'm just going to love you. That's, that's all there is to it. But that can do damage as well. Because compassion without critical thinking makes us, makes us feel good in the short term, but it can actually harm us in the long run. If I'm rushed into an ER, or you're rushed into an ER, you got to ask yourself, who is it that you want? Dennis, I want the guy with the, who's got the best medical experience. I'm not looking necessarily for the most empathetic doctor. I want someone who can help me, and who can help me the best. So people and concepts, both are important when it comes to this topic. Jesus spoke of a kingdom where truth should be spoken. It should be upheld and celebrated. And at the same time, we, we love those people that, that fall short of the truth, that fall short of trying to follow God. People are infinitely valuable in God's eyes, and that's why we should always want to understand some concepts, people and concepts. So it comes down to this. Why are we having this, this problem? Is it nurturing? Is that the issue? Is it nature? That's the big debates that are out there. Well, we can say nurturing does have a, a play in things. Did you know that 100 years ago, that the masculine color for boys was pink and the color for girls was blue. 
This is from 1918, a, a ladies home journal. Pink is the more decided, stronger color for the boys. Blue is more delicate and daintier. It's, it's prettier for the girl. All you guys with blue shirts on today. Sorry. You ever seen pictures before the 20th century? You ever seen baby pictures? I mean, you, boys, boys are dressed like girls. Here's a couple of pictures here. These are both boys. And you may say, that, that, that definitely looks like a girl on the right. I mean, a dress, got, got a necklace and all this. And then look at this thing. In fact, do you know who these people are? Let me just tell you who they are. That's Theodore Roosevelt on the left. Yes, that's the Rough Rider. And over here is one of the great generals of, our, of, of the generation, and that's Douglas MacArthur. Does nurture play a part in things? Yes. Listen, girls don't like pink because, well, genetically, that's what we do, or what you do. Uh, or boys, we don't like blue just because, you know, that's in our DNA. No, no, no. We are nurtured. There's a lot of things that are nurtured. There are things in our culture that are still being nurtured as what is a man, what is a woman, right? But we also realize that nature has a part in things as well. Males have a higher level of testosterone that is linked to a more aggressive personality and behavior. Most biological males, they get a, a testosterone wash in the third trimester. Most girls don't, they don't get that. And that's typically why you see boys, they're, they're always roughhousing. They're more aggressive than our girls. Now, are there girls that can be aggressive and even more aggressive than a guy over here? Well, certainly. But what we're talking about is most of the time, the general rule is that's, that's the way nature is. Okay? So nature and nurture both have a play in things. We hear this term, gender dysphoria. I don't know if you've heard it before. If you're like me, uh, you didn't have fancy words like this growing up. But basically, this is when people feel this intense sense of self that doesn't match their biological sex. And this can range from mild to severe. And what studies show is that most outgrow it by the time that they hit puberty, according to studies. But there are others who are going to struggle. I like this passage. And no, this, Jesus is not talking about transgenders here. But still, the passage, I think, speaks to us a little bit. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I think a lot of trans people feel very confused. I think they feel helpless. Gender dysphoria, folks, is a real condition that some people experience. For many trans people, what we see on the outside is a reflection of the dysphoria that they are feeling on the inside. And it's an attempt to relieve that dysphoria. When, when we talk about dysphoria, we're talking about distress. The fact is, we all have struggles, don't we? 
And, and for a lot of people, those struggles are inward. It may be, it may be pride, greed, lust, covetousness. And those are kind of hard to discern. But they'll create dysphoria. Not necessarily gender dysphoria, but for some it may be marriage dysphoria. It may be parent dysphoria. It may be financial dysphoria. It may be religious dysphoria. And, and we handle these things in different ways. For some people, they veg out on the television or video games. Some people will cut themselves or they'll steal. There are some they will turn to pornography or have affairs. There are some who will belittle their spouses and their children. Some turn to alcohol. Some turn to eating. People are, can go to very ungodly ways in trying to deal with these dysphorias, these distresses that we have in life. In fact, 1 Timothy says something that the sins of some people are obvious, but there are those that aren't quite as obvious and they'll be revealed one day. A trans person tries to relieve their dysphoria in a very outward way. And for those of us who have never gone through this before, it just seems weird. And I don't mean that to sound crass. But it's just, it just seems it's very odd to see a man wearing women's clothing. Or for a woman who tries to act and look like a man. But I think we can all agree that we all struggle to cope with some kind of dysphoria in our lives at certain times in our lives. And so the, the thing is, can we empathize with that? And it's challenging. It's challenging. I know some of you are like, okay, well, that's all and good, but when you're going to get to the Bible, well, let's just do it. All right? Genesis 1-2, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Genesis 1 declares the most fundamental truth about human identity. We are created in God's image. And that word image in the Hebrew almost always refers to idols. Did you know that? It is a visible image of an invisible deity. The, the term image precisely highlights human physicality. We bear God's image, how? As male and female. Adam and Eve's bodies were viewed as sacred. Oh, you know this passage where, you know, puts Adam into a sleep and he takes the rib from man, gives it to the woman. And that rib there is a very sacred term. Did you know that this term is used, this Hebrew word is used over 40 times in the Old Testament and it's never translated as rib? It's always translated as the side of a sacred architecture, like a temple or a tabernacle. Adam and Eve's bodies are compared to sacred pieces of architecture 
temples embodying God's presence. He says, that's my vision. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 19, he doesn't say, look, times have changed. In fact, it's been thousands of years, and he continues to absolutely honor what was spoken back in Genesis 1 and 2. The Apostle Paul, he saw the human body as significant for moral behavior. It correlates with the body, with personhood. And notice how he uses the word you and body interchangeably in these verses. He does that in other places too, such as in Romans. He says, present yourselves to God. And then later on in chapter 12, he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And what he's saying is that our bodies and ourselves are inseparable. Paul is arguing against sexually immoral practices of 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And just so you know, he's not just talking about homosexuality, and he's not just talking about transgenders. He's talking about any sexual perversion. That would be sex outside of marriage. It would be adultery. It would be fornication. It, it covers them all. And what he's saying is, his argument is anthropological. Personhood is a body. We also know the Bible says cross-dressing is, is abhorred by God. Men shouldn't wear women's clothing and women shouldn't wear men's clothing. So forth. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you remember when we went through 1 Corinthians. Paul highlights gender distinctions. And he shows us that it's something that should be upheld and, and celebrated in public worship. And in his argument of that, he goes back to the creation account. Folks, it all eventually comes back to Genesis, Genesis 1 through 3. While head coverings and hairstyles in that text, we know they are different from our culture today. The point is that male and female distinctions are a creational good that should be celebrated. Now, we could go on and we could talk about other passages, but the, to be honest with you, we just don't have time trying to get through this. And I want to talk about some other things. I want to tell you about a girl by the name of Helena. She was 14 years old when she determined she liked both boys and girls. She began to explore what that meant on these online communities in Tumblr. It was there that she learned about gender identities. And she learned that her next step was to begin taking testosterone. That part was easy. All it took was a one-hour counseling session where she explained her dysphoria, and it was given. Helena was what she, she was on what is called cross-hormone therapy, CHT, for two years. And at first, she enjoyed it. But then she began to see some problems. It is a well-known fact when women start taking testosterone, after a while, they become more aggressive. They become angry. It began to really mess with her mentally. She learned about these high doses of testosterone in females that it causes the ovaries and the uterus to waste away after about five years. Helena started seeing the flaws in the trans ideology as a whole 
And that's when she decided to detransition. And she would go on to say, I lost five years of my life to gender ideology. Five years of believing a lie, of centering all my identity, friendships, actions, and thoughts on a lie. Five years of repressing my trauma and sexuality in favor of a lie. And what some are doing is, in going, to, going this direction, is they're trying to, to deal with this distress. And then they get over there and they realize it's not doing what they thought it was. The last few years, stories like Helena's have exploded on the scene. In fact, many Western countries have seen a massive spike in teenagers questioning their gender. The main gender clinic in the UK is centered, it's in London. And back in 2009, they treated 51 children and teenagers with gender dysphoria. In 2016, that jumped to over 1,700. Three years later, it was over 2,300. Researchers have documented several upsurges in Sweden, in the Netherlands, New Zealand, Canada, and the U.S. Lisa Littman of Brown University, she coined a phrase, it's called rapid onset gender dysphoria. She surveyed 256 parents of, of teenagers who went through this um, through this, tra um, this trans identity. And what they found was there were lots of similarities in these kids. One is, for, few of the children showed signs of gender dysphoria to their parents growing up. Their new identity seemed to appear out of the blue. Many, if not all, of their friends at school were trans, and their coming out often followed their friends coming out as trans. Many of them became more popular after they came out as trans. They encouraged, they engaged in heavy online and social media activity surrounding their coming out. Listen, I warn you all about this all the time. Many of them had other mental health concerns that weren't being dealt with. In fact, 63% of the kids referred to in Littman's survey had one or more diagnosis of psychiatric disorder or neurodevelopmental disability preceding the onset of gender dysphoria. You go ahead and add to that the health risk of this C, uh, the, the, the cross-sex hormone therapy. Many studies show side effects such as the rise in cholesterol, blood pressure, increased risk of heart attack and stroke, increased risk of blood clots and cancer and diabetes. There are some irreversible changes that will occur after more than two years of being on this treatment, uh, infertility in both men and women, a deeper voice in biological females. And yet some doctors are prescribing CHT to kids as young as 12 years of age. And now it's being used as a tool by politicians. Currently in Oregon, 15-year-olds can medically transition without the consent of their parents. If you're paying attention this past week, California just passed something very similar. But as the number of trans teenagers rise, so are the number of kids who are detransitioning. And they are speaking out against this medical malpractice and ideological brainwashing. And that is not to say, that is not to say that every trans-identifying teenager fits into this mold. I am talking about 
just one part of this. There are some that they have felt this way for a very long time. The internet didn't change them. It wasn't, uh, you know, some kind of their friends. In fact, they didn't become popular. It made them very unpopular, and they struggle. Which brings up a question that a lot of people ask. Can, can a male body, somebody in a male body, have a female brain or vice versa? Neuroscientists say they're... They're, they're trying to study this, but there is absolutely zero scientific evidence to prove that that's the case. In fact, what they're finding is there's all kind of mixed stuff all over the place with this stuff. If someone experiences inconsistencies between their biological sex and their internal self, self, uh, sense of self, which one determines who they are? In other words, if I feel like a female but I have a male body, vice versa, which one is my true self? I believe, based on the scriptures that we read, and based on science, it is your biological body. And I realize that can be confusing. Those who know anything about Flying, you may have heard of people who qualify as VFR, visual flight rules. In other words, you can only fly on clear days during the daytime because you fly visually. You're not allowed to fly at night in clouds and bad weather. But if you were to get your IFR, the instrument flight rules, then you can fly in the dark and in clouds and bad weather because you rely upon your instruments. You never even have to look out your window because you are able to read those, those things. And what they say is when you're flying in the dark or in the clouds or in, in bad weather, when you're not able to see visually, that you can feel like that you're doing a nosedive or you're, you're going straight up. You can feel like that you're, you're flying upside down when in actuality you're not. And so that's why it's important for the instrument flight rules. They rely on their instruments to tell them what's true. You seeing where I'm going? You have to be trained to trust your instruments. This Bible is our instrument panel. I can't always trust my heart. I can't. I, I can't always trust even what I see sometimes. But I can trust this. If we are disciples of Jesus, then we're flying according to biblical flight rules. And, and, and I'm really not trying to use that as a, as a cutesy kind of thing here. But that's the decision that we make. That if we go by what this book says, that we're going to have to sacrifice some things. We're going to have to sacrifice pleasures and some feelings of things that we learn is not according to God's plan. And believe me when I say that does not just deal with transgenders. That deals with a lot of things, doesn't it? Now that said... We can get the Bible right, but if we do not love, then we're still wrong. People need love and community, and if they're not going to get it from us, they will get it somewhere else. 
Remember the girl I talked about in the very beginning, Leslie, the one that the preacher kicked out of her office, told her to never come back. She left that church. She found a a community of people who accepted her as the LGBTQ people. She began a relationship with a woman by the name of Sue, and she eventually um, got married to her. Uh, Her wife had this very rare disease that caused her hands to shake. And one night when she was out to get a smoke, her hand was shaking so much she actually set herself on fire. They rushed her to the emergency room, and she was in really bad shape. She died three days later. Leslie now is crushed, and she's got to try to find a way of, of having a funeral for, for her spouse. She did something that she hadn't done in 18 years. She called a church. It was a, a church that Sue had volunteered for at one time, which turned out to be one of the most conservative churches in the whole area. And when she called, she said, my name is Leslie and my wife just died. We're lesbians, but I want to know if you'll do my wife's funeral. He didn't say, you know what, I need to think about this. He didn't say, well, I, we need, I, let me just tell you our, how we feel about these things. In fact, what he said was, we would be honored to. I'm so sorry for your loss. I know you must be grieving right now. Please, Leslie, let us take care of all the details of the funeral. The cost, the arrangements, whatever you need. Let us love you through this pain. That church loved on Leslie. And that simple Christ-like love reignited Leslie's love for Jesus. She has a ministry in prayer now and encouragement and listening to church teens struggle with gender dysphoria. Leslie's not an issue. She's not a debate. She is someone made in the image of God who struggled and needed someone to love her. As we work through these questions related to trans identities, just remember there might be a young person right here in this church that's on the verge of suicide because they don't feel like they are a certain gender and they have no one to talk to. They are made in God's image and God loves them so much. The real question is, will they be loved by you and me? It doesn't change our convictions. It's about people, and it's about, and it's about concepts. Both of these are important. But we've got to see everyone as people first. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you this day. I thank you personally, Father, for getting me through this. Father, I just pray that if there's things that I've left out, things that, things that maybe should have said, maybe things I shouldn't have said, Father, you, you let your truth come forth. 
But Father, I just pray this church continues to love you and to love other people the way you so command. And Father, may it make a real difference in our community and among people. I pray for for people who may be in this audience right now. They may be young people. They may even be adults. They've struggled their whole lives and they're just, they're still confused. They're, they're, they feel lonely. They feel like no one dares to talk to them. Father, help them to know how much you love them. Help them know this is a safe place they can come and they can talk to us and and that we'll listen. And Father, just help help all of us as we deal with whatever distresses that we may have in our lives and help us to deal with them in the right way, the way you had so planned. But Father, give us your Holy Spirit. Fill us in those places that we fill the voids and bring us the joy that only you can give and peace. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.